Good evening. It's great to be here. I appreciate everybody participating this morning. I enjoyed all those songs. I know it, it kept you here a little longer. I heard some restless kids. I think the least put on Facebook felt like I was fighting a monkey. What was that? Anybody see that? It felt like I was fighting an animal or something. But anyway, I, I appreciate uh, enduring that, and, and, and I hope that it was beneficial to you. I, I want to really urge you to be back Wednesday night. Um, I, I said it this morning. I'll say it again. I'm looking out here. I see two or three of those the speakers that we're going to have on Wednesday night. They won't be very long, and they're not accustomed necessarily to speaking, uh, but they're in a unique spot uh, to have something to say about, to us about gratitude. So we're going to be singing some. And we're going to be hearing from some different people. And it's going to be well worth your while. And it's going to add significantly to your holiday if you will be here Wednesday night. If you can't, well, it's just your loss. Too bad for you. But, uh, but if you can, really make the effort to be here. And it's going to be a great thing uh, to bless this congregation. For those who work so hard to make Pack-A-Sack work, uh, I, it, it just overwhelms me to think about what all the logistics are to plotting that thing out. But I know Cameron and I know uh, the mats uh, th that were there. Um, and I, I know I'm missing somebody. Who? Yeah, Dennis Nix too, yes. And there was, I, I know I'm missing some people, but whoever you are, thank you very much because that's a cool thing. Now, I, I had a great devotional for Wednesday night. I mean, we were going to rock this house out with a great devotional, right? And then we're going to do all that fun stuff on Wednesday night, and then the weather messed up, which means I have a great devotional for next year for Pakistan. Uh, but I did want to ask, answer a couple of questions that were posed to me, because I've had these before. And, and I, I'm going to leave one of them for later, but one of them was, and I've wondered this, if we pack that sack with that list and bring it here, why do we empty it out and repack it? Why in the world do we bring it like it's supposed to, undo it, and redo it like we brought it. Anybody else have that question? Well, there's lots of reasons for that because, uh, I mean, for instance, uh, there's some other bulk items that are brought that it would take forever to do it ourselves. But the number one reason is because I know it's going to be hard for you to imagine, but not all Christians follow instructions. <laughs> Does that totally blow your mind? For instance... And I, I have no complaints about that, but there were Reese's peanut butter cups in some of those. And one of them had hominy in it. Now, if we deliver that bag without checking it, that is close to an unforgivable sin for a church. And it would, it would hold somebody in irate frustration to receive that instead of corn, because there's no relationship between hominy and corn. Sorry for those of you. Yeah, no, there's not. Uh, I'm just saying that we have to kind of do this because we want to be fair with everyone. I, I'm just going to make that argument. I'm just telling you why, because I heard some people ask, and I've always wondered the same thing. Well, just take them in there. Uh, and there's all sorts of weird things. In fact, they've got a whole box back there of weird things found in these sacks, okay? And so in order to be fair and right, it's just best to do it this way. I know that's hard to believe. Exodus chapter 20, we didn't get to sing it this morning, so we're going to sing it tonight. Jesus. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. 
Anytime you deal with Scripture, you're dealing with holy territory, right? You're dealing with the words of God, which is why when somebody reads out of Scripture, at least we're supposed to say amen. That's what God's people are supposed to do. That's the words of God that guide our lives. This is holy breath that's being breathed out on us. And yet, this particular passage, if you're going to call it all holy, this would be the holy of holies. Exodus chapter 20. Uh, there are so many misconceptions with the Ten Commandments. We're not going to cover all ten. You're going to like, how long is this going to be tonight? No, we're not going to cover all ten. We're just going to hit on some of them and, and talk about the context before we go through these Ten Commandments. But you think of Charlton Heston, for instance, right? You think of Roy Moore. Anybody remember Roy Moore? The guy in Alabama raised a fit about the Ten Commandments statue and all that. He threw it into the realm of politics where the Ten Commandments were never supposed to go. And, and, and he made this fuss about it and all that, and everybody gets all riled up about this. Uh, when you throw the Ten Commandments out of their proper context, you mess them all up. And that's what he came close to doing, it seems to me. But we're going to talk about are the interesting insights about these Ten Commandments that you probably knew or know, know or knew at one time. Um, first, it's the only section in all the law where God actually spoke directly to the people. The rest of the law that is fleshed out in all the rest of the Pentateuch was God speaking through Moses. After this section, this section in Exodus 20, where God himself, with them all standing at attention around the Mount, of Mount Sinai, God speaks directly to the people. If we had an audio, vision, audio version of the Bible, we would hear the words of God here. That's an incredible thought to think about. There are a few other places where people hear the words of God. I think of John chapter 12 where God says something about Jesus and Jesus understands it, the apostles understand it, but everybody else makes it, makes it we heard something, but it sounded like thunder. So I, I often wonder like when Jesus was baptized and that voice comes, you remember this, when God, you are my, this is my beloved son, I don't know if people understood that or not. Because sometimes, I don't know, God, it's like God's voice sounds so incredibly majestic you don't really recognize what it is but these people are terrified when he speaks and at the end of this particular section of these ten commandments the people say that's enough of that we don't want to hear from him anymore Moses you talk to us from now on I, I don't know if these ten are more important than the rest I think they're at the head of it and the rest of them kind of flesh these out I'll give you an example like Deuteronomy the word Deuteronomy means Deutero what's Deutero mean anybody know Deutero twice. It's the second giving of the nomos law. So it's the second time he gives the law. Uh, and, and, and so you have a rehearsal of it. And, and if you break out Deuteronomy, what it does is it takes each of the Ten Commandments and there's several chapters of commentary on each one. Deuteronomy is just a commentary on the Ten Commandments. So those ten sit at the very forefront. They're spoken by the words of God, out of the mouth of God, by the breath of God. And then there's a second thing about this. They were also written. Who wrote them? Whose finger wrote these words? God's finger. Don't know many other things that God wrote. I don't know any other times. You know where Jesus wrote. He stooped down in the sand and he wrote a couple times. But this is a time where God wrote not only once, but after Moses threw his temper tantrum, he had to write them out again. So here he is. God is actually writing these words. And I don't know about these tablets. We picture them as rounded at the top. Where did anybody come up with the rounded top commandments? Charlton Heston. 
That's where they came from. Most likely, you think about how he would have chiseled them out or even God would have taken them out of a mountain. They're probably square. They're not, where would they do this? How would they do the rounding thing? Take it to Pat Michener and have him put them on a lathe somewhere? No, no, these were flat kind of square things where they were written. Most likely, how many were on the first tablet and how many were on the second? Five, five, four, six. No, all ten were on each one. All ten of them. It's two recordings. Why would you need two copies of the Ten Commandments? It's a covenant between two parties, and each party gets one copy. Obviously, God doesn't need it, but, but where do they then put the two copies of the Ten Commandments? In the Ark of the Covenant, Deuteronomy chapter 10. You know, and that's where they kept them. And the reason they did is you have to, they have to be accessible to the parties uh, over which they have the sovereignty. So, God has his copy, and, and the people have their copy, and it goes with them wherever they go because they've got to have a witness to the fact they made this covenant. Now, why would God's be in the ark? It's because he chose to live with his people. He was living among them, and so his copy needed to be there too. Two copies, ten commandments, sitting in the ark, right? Now, what happened to the ark? No, nobody really knows. I think the Nazis got a hold of it, according to, uh, you know, Hollywood, right? Show you some picture here. There's, there's, there's the two, that's probably what they were like. Here's the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark, of, yeah, it's an amazing thing. And inside that was three things. The Ten Commandments, what else? Aaron's rod and a bowl of manna, right? Just some, some major history stuff to affirm to the people of later generations what God had done. Now, this is what happens if you get, yeah, that's what happens if you try to open up the Ark of the Covenant. Does anybody know what that picture is? Okay, the younger people are going, uh, uh, no. That's Raiders of the Lost Ark. That's what happens if you look in there. Okay, that's a scary picture. Flash that off there. Um, that's what happened to the Ten Commandments in the Ark of the Covenant. One strange interpretation issue. I, if you were to interpret this um, or translate it from the Hebrew, these are not Ten Commandments at all. They're only called commandments one time. They're called the Ten Words or the Ten Sayings of God. That doesn't mean they're not commandments. I mean, God is there. They're petrified. The people are terrified of God. And he speaks as the law-giving deliverer with authority. And he speaks these ten sayings. They function as commandments. It's not generic instruction for all of humanity. This is the most gripe I have with this. You go to the Supreme Court of the United States. You go to that building that it's housed in. And you see all these great... Uh, great law systems represented, and the Ten Commandments are up there, as they surely do belong there as a great law code. But it's not novel. We're not the, this is not the first group of people who had guiding laws that, that, that oversaw what they did. This one is probably the most famous besides the Ten Commandments. Anybody know what's on this cylinder right here? Code of... Hammurabi, right? Now all his laws are up there, and it has a lot of the a lot of the Ten Commandments are also on this one. This is for the Mesopotamian people. So it's not it's not uh, it's not a universal system that God was put, placing over everybody. The Ten Commandments were directed to a particular people. He says, and God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Who do these Ten Commandments apply to? The people that he brought out of Egypt. They don't apply to everybody. 
It wasn't a law system he expected to be forced on all peoples all around you. We do not come to the United States and say to every court system, you've got to honor the Ten Commandments. And to every citizen of America, you've got to honor the Ten Commandments. That's not true. It wasn't to America. We are not the people of God. This is not the nation of God. It is not. So it's not our law system. It's hard for people to grasp that sometimes. This is a particular God in relationship to a particular people through his deliverance in a particular way. He's rescued them from slavery in Egypt, and he tells them that I am the God who called you out of Egypt, and I expect you to be holy as I am holy. And so the Ten Commandments flow out of the character of God. They are not random, ambiguous laws that he just chooses randomly to put on his people. The Ten Commandments are reflections of the character of our God. We learn who God is by reading the Ten Commandments. And when we obey them, we become like him. We image the God we serve. It's an interesting exercise. We cannot draw a picture of God. He prohibited that in commandment number two. He decided, he said, I want word pictures. And the reason he tells us this is because there is no image that can convey all the complexity of God. You will choose one aspect of God and you will honor it and you'll forget the others. You will, you'll do one of power and great strength, but you won't have one of love and compassion. And you will err on one side or the other. And so God says, I want you to take my word for it. I'm going to give you word pictures. And so as you read through the Ten Commandments, you get a picture of God. Like this, he's too big and too complex for images. If you're going to wear his name, you better take it seriously. He wants his people to worship him and take a day off to do it. He expects his people to honor those people who are like God among them, like your parents. He's a God of life, and he detests everything that threatens or jeopardizes the quality of human life. That's who God is. He didn't randomly pick that to make you nice. He picked that because that flows out of his nature. He's a God of life, not death. He's a God who honors his word and his covenants. And when he enters a covenant with somebody, he keeps it to the very last dying breath of that person, which is why he says to you, I hate divorce. I don't want adultery. I want you to keep your word to one another because you serve a God who never reneges on his word. You got that? That's what the Ten Commandments are about. He values work, and he expects people to engage in it and never take shortcuts like stealing from someone else who works so hard for that which they have. You don't take their property. You value the one that you've got, and you work hard for what you get, but you don't steal from somebody else. And when you speak, you speak truth. These are characteristics of God that He wants us to emulate because we are to be like God who saved us. We are to be holy like God is holy, and these things communicate what holiness means. So don't approach them with trepidation and fear like they're a spoil sport. He's trying to tell you how to be like Himself, and that should be an honor for His people, shouldn't it? And even a lot of people say, Thou shalt nots. His thou shalt nots lead you to the sh thou shalts. Like, for instance, there was only one tree in the garden Adam and Eve couldn't eat from. There were thousands they could eat from. 
why in the world would you suddenly get fixated on the one you couldn't? So God says, I want you to have a spouse to enjoy all your life, and I want you to say no to all the others so you can say yes to her and say yes to him, and that's all. I want you to speak truth, and I want you to work hard, and I want you to enjoy what you have, but don't steal from somebody else. All these thou shalt nots open your way to a lot of freedom and joy that you can have if you learn them. As for New Testament believers, do the Ten Commandments govern our lives? We do not have to keep the Ten Commandments. This is not an instruction for us. I don't know where a lot of, a lot of New Testament people get all uptight about this. We follow Jesus. And if that means keeping the Ten Commandments, we keep them because we follow Jesus. We are not under the Ten Commandments. If you are, you're going to have to answer for why you did anything yesterday. Saturday, Sabbath, right? We're not under the Ten Commandments, and yet we honor the spirit and the heart of them because we're trying to be like God, like Jesus was. So a lot of people go uptight if somebody removes a copy of the Ten Commandments from somewhere. It don't matter one bit whether that statue or that engraved wall is there. It doesn't make any difference. It doesn't change anything about what the Christian's supposed to do. You can take these commandments and you compare them with others like the Code of Hammurabi, and what you're going to find is the last six are very similar to any other law system in the world. Nearly every law system had something about adultery and something about lying and something about stealing and all these other things, these horizontal, but not another system in the world had those first four. Here's what's unique about the Ten Commandments. The command to worship God and only God. He's the only one we worship. It's called monolatry. Now, it's interesting in the first commandment, he doesn't say there aren't any other gods. He says, it don't care if there's any other gods or not, you only worship one of them. It's me, God says. That's kind of unusual in the ancient world where they worship many gods and they weren't real jealous. They just, you know, worship whatever god you happen to be around at the time. God says, I'm a jealous god and it's me only. That's unique. Second, to not allow any physical image to represent God was novel in this part of the world. They all had, well, golden calves. They all had these other weird things that they would bow down to, totem poles and other things like this. And the, Christian, and, and the Jews marching through the wilderness had nothing. There was nothing. Just their words about God. And God meant it that way. And then the demand for a Sabbath, which is the most strange thing. The Jews always got most criticism because of Sabbath. Now, Sabbath, what's interesting, I want you to look at the Sabbath command with me and notice this is an economy, this is an ecology. You shall, he says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. You don't do any work on it. This is an economy. This is one day where all, all business shuts down. This is weird. Who in the world does this? Only a people who serve a God who's powerful enough to take care of them that day without their help. That's the only thing that this communicates uh, to the people around them. So, but, but notice something else. What, what else is supposed to have the whole day off? Not just workers. Not just servants. Animals. 
animals took the day off. Is God concerned about animals? Kristen Hassan Brown, is God concerned about animals? He is concerned about animals. Why would he say in there, not even your animals are to work that day? Why would, and he even says there's a Sabbath year. Do you remember this? There's a Sabbath year when you can't even grow crops in the ground. You've got to let whatever grows, grows. The land has to have rest. What kind of a thing is this? He's teaching them ecology, guys. The stuff about caring for the earth is very much near the heart of God who made it. And we act like sometimes all that's just peripheral, you know, it doesn't matter. It does matter. God cares how you treat animals. God cares how you treat the earth. Sabbath says so. Interesting, isn't it? And then there's the whole idea that the, the latter six is a way to honor the first four. You cannot say you love God and disrespect your fellow man. I don't, know that that's I don't know that that connection is made in any other law system in the ancient world. God wanted us to know this. And Jesus comes along, what's he say? Here's how you summarize them. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Interesting things about several of these commands. There are reasons why given for commands 2, 3, and 4. He tells us why they're there. That's unusual. God doesn't have to tell us that. Sometimes he doesn't, but sometimes he does. I'm not sure why. We'll talk about that when we go through them. And then number five has a reward clause in it. Honor your father and your mother. And it'll go well with you in the land you're going to live. And then there's number ten. You shall not covet. How can you tell when somebody's coveting? We get to the New Testament where Jesus takes each of these commands and he digs deep into it and gets to the level of the heart. And we're acting like Jesus remodels completely these commandments. But he doesn't. He doesn't. He takes number 10 and applies it to number 7 and number 6. Because in number 10 he says, I don't want you to covet. I don't want you not, not just to steal. I don't want you to want to steal. I, I don't just want you to refrain from adultery. I don't want you looking at another woman adultery with her i'm going to the level of the heart jesus isn't the first one to do that god did that even in the first 10 how weird is that we'll look at those commands in coming weeks but i want to point one thing out that i love that that um, dr young blooded harding shared with me once i want you to see this on the screen on this side from Jeremiah chapter 3, And when you have multiplied and been fruitful in the land in those days, declares the Lord, they shall no more say the ark of the covenant of the Lord. It shall not come to mind. It will be, not be remembered or missed. It shall not be made again. Will we ever find the ark of the covenant? Will we ever need one? Jeremiah says in chapter 3, You're never going to need one again. You won't make another one. You won't miss it. You won't even think about the Ark of the Covenant, which contains the Ten Commandments. Why is that? Well, when he picks up the subject again in chapter 31, he says, Behold, the days are coming when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them out of the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant I will make in the house of the Lord, uh, the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write my law in their hearts. I'll be their God and they shall be my people. We don't need the two tablets. We don't need the Ten Commandments. We don't need them written and put in an ark because we have the laws of God written on our... No tablets anymore. No Ark of the Covenant. 
It comes into a person and from within, we honor the Ten Commandments. Look at how Paul put it, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. You show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Don't go out and tell people they need to honor the Ten Commandments. Don't go out and tell people they need to have a statue out in front of their house of the Ten Commandments. Don't even tell people they need to memorize the Ten Commandments. You model it. You honor the Ten Commandments in your life, the way you interact with everybody you work with, everybody who lives in your house, everybody who interacts with you on the highway, everybody who knows you from any other association at all. You honor the Ten Commandments from within your heart. That's where they're supposed to be honored. And that will draw people to want to know what you know and do what you do and know why you believe as you believe. Quit griping about Ten Commandments and just do them from the heart. What God wanted. Ten Commandments. If you are a believer and you've received the gift of the Holy Spirit at your baptism, He comes inside and He writes those laws on your heart in His person. If you're not a believer, they're not there, but they need to be. And tonight, if you've got them written on your heart, I'm asking you this week to just live them. And if they're not written on your heart, you can't write them on your heart, but the Spirit can if you ask Him to. When you confess your sin and you're immersed in the waters of baptism, the Spirit comes into your life. So, are you living them? Are they for you? If they're not, they need to be. And if you need to make a response, make it now as we stand and as we sing.